0: Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez here. And today I have the privilege of hosting the outstanding Moodit Garg. He is the co founder and CEO of QVentus. The QVentus platform uses machine learning and behavioral science to deliver real time operations for leading health systems across the country, including academic, community, and safety net hospitals. Prior to Cuventus, Murik co-founded multiple technology companies, including Videopia and Hive. He also spent time at McKinsey & Company's healthcare practice, helping large providers with organizational transformation and performance improvement. He's been recognized for leadership as one of Silicon Valley's business journeys journal, 40 Under 40. He's a Stanford StartX mentor, and he earned his master's in business admin in electrical engineering from Stanford. Such a pleasure to have you here, Mudit. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you, Saul. Very excited to have to be here as well, and thank you
0: for having me. Absolutely. Now, <clears throat> Mudit, I know you guys are creating some major waves with QVentus and, and, and the work you're doing. We're going to have plenty of time to, to chat about that. Before we do, I'd love if you could just share with me what inspires your work in healthcare.
1: Yeah, my my inspiration for working in healthcare um, actually came from the work I was doing when I was at McKinsey and Company, um, as you mentioned, um, and and the very first time um, my work that I started with helping a rural hospital improve its core operations, and it was probably about almost fifteen years ago at this point in time, and that. That experience really struck me. Um, I saw a really interesting dichotomy in that very first experience that um, really captures what we see in our healthcare system. On the one hand, that even this rural hospital had absolutely world-class physicians, world-class treatments, world-class equipment, therapies available. Yet the experience of the average patient was far from world-class, and that was really puzzling. Like how how could those things happen together? And that matched, uh, I grew up in India, it matched sort of my view of the U.S. healthcare system in that if you wanted the rarest of rare diseases to be treated, this is the best healthcare system in the world to be. And yet, for majority of the patients, it fell far short. And what was really striking was that this was happening in spite of what I was seeing day in and day out, heroic efforts from staff and clinicians and managers who would do whatever it took to take care of patients, right? So I saw, you know, a doctor who said, oh, this patient's waiting for the MRI. There's no one to transport them. I will wheel them. in." Or oh, there is this patient never got discharge instructions. Let me run over and get that done. So in spite of that kind of a mindset of doing whatever it takes, in spite of all the resources, the world-class clinicians, therapies, equipment, it was really odd to see us fall so far short um, of what we would need to deliver for our patients. And the staff that were doing these superhuman efforts were pretty quickly burning up and i quickly came to the realization that it wasn't the medicine that was behind the times as much as everything else that surrounds it was behind the times that was sort of the first realization that world class healthcare is impossible without world class operations and that's sort of what i set out to solve um this is also about the same time when the affordable care act was being discussed and I sort of kept seeing that if we only change incentives and we're not able to drive a reliable system, we'll just find new ways of wasting money and we would not fundamentally solve the problem that is both burning our people out and sort of preventing the full use of all the amazing resources we have in our healthcare systems. So that's what I set out to solve, um, to create Qventus in a way that it could help health systems transform their operations. Uh, It was clear, much like um, if you took systems thinking and stepped back and looked at the different operational challenges, uh, you could actually do that in a much, much more automated fashion by taking modern innovations in AI and machine learning, using behavior science to shape the organization's behavior and some of the fundamental operations management principles together. And we built a team with expertise in clinical operations, performance improvement, change management, and started applying them to long-standing operational challenges. Um, We had many a path uh, along the way of uh, doing things that certainly turned out to not be the right way of doing things and had to adapt and adjust from there. But that that core mission of uh, delivering world-class operations has stayed true the, uh, the entire time. And we're really proud that through that journey, we've been able to partner with leading organizations across the country that range, as you were saying, from community hospitals, academic medical systems, large health systems such as Boston Medical Center, Honor Health and Health Fairview, St. Luke's, Care Care, to name a few.
0: That's awesome. Well, Moody, you know, this uh, this operations problem is, is is definitely a big one. And and making sure that it's addressed is key. Talk to us a little bit about Qventus. How, you know, you mentioned, and maybe later we could cover some of the setbacks and learnings. Those sure. are always, uh, to me, the most interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> After the fact, um, yeah, definitely for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's where the gold is right there. Um, but how h- how is what Qventus doing adding value to the healthcare ecosystem right now?
1: Yeah. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, so, firstly, overall. Juventus is enabling hospitals to automate their care operations. So all those operational activities that are surrounding the delivery of care. Things like how to get patients access, how to get help, um, uh, the all the coordination of care that goes on, how to make sure that uh, the patients flowing through the health systems are able to get through in a reasonably efficient way. All of these sort of operational processes that are intertwined with the clinical care uh, delivery of care is what we help automate and make much more reliable. So for example, take, for example, the challenge around the operating rooms, right? Um, it's it's really surprising that on the one hand, you will see patients who often have to wait months to get access to the operating room and surgeries. Similarly, surgeons who are saying, I really would love to get an ability to get into the operating room and are waiting quite a long time. Yet from the health system standpoint, when you see the same thing, you see that even if you look at the prime time hours, i.e. only Monday through Friday, only like 7 to 4 or 7 to 5, only about 70% of that time is utilized. So those that's time when you had staff, you had the equipment, mm-hmm. you had everything there. But that dichotomy is really odd. Like how could those two things be happening simultaneously? And that's an example that that is actually that improving OR access is one of the top priorities for health systems. So over 75% of the health system executives said, this is one of my top priorities. So what's happening today is oftentimes, if if you have a manager who's absolutely excellent, who has a lot of time on their hand and is able to then look ahead and say, actually, that surgeon has time two Thursdays from now, and I have an inkling they won't use it. They have a football game for their son or something else is going on. It doesn't look like they'll use it. And they have a block on that time. Typically, that's how it works. That the surgeons also have block time, um, right?
0: It's sacred.
1: Yeah, it absolutely (laughs) is sacred. Um, So, how do you take that very sacred time and do in a way um, facilitate the release of that time and help another surgeon who actually needs it and their patients who need it be able to get it? So, our um, machine learning is looking at every individual surgeon, every local market, learning on that in a personalized basis, right? Like just like we have our Netflix use, learn on our personalized behavior patterns and pick up and say, okay, well, this plastic surgeon is always booking significantly in advance. For them to have not enough cases booked two Thursdays from now is a meaningful indicator that they perhaps are not going to be there in the afternoon that day. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it picks up things like that. It proactively reaches out then to those surgeons offices and helps them understand behaviorally what's in it for them. Hey, in, in this you get this upside if you release this. And so we get their their schedulers to release that time, typically about 20 to 25 days in advance of when that that surgery would have happened. Now, instead of releasing it typically three to five days in advance, when it's 25 days in advance, you have time to get another patient uh, access to that. And then our system actually similarly applies matching to figure out which surgeons most will need this, whose patients will most need this time, and proactively reaches out to them to get that time. And it's remarkable what you can do with that. We've seen about being able to do two additional cases per room per month, right? So if a hospital has 10 ORs, you're doing 20 more cases per month additionally, that those patients would have had to wait two months additional to get that that case. And so those results have been transformative, like hundreds of hours of block capacity released, 50 to 60% of that release time um, being used for these cases. And as I said, about two cases an OR per month coming through that. So that's one example. We have similarly examples on, you know, patients waiting an unnecessarily long amount of time past when they needed to in the hospital. Like no, nobody wants to stay in the hospital past when it's necessary. And last year across our partners, we eliminated about two hundred years worth of total total patient time in the time. hospital that didn't need to happen. So those are examples of how we help um, the that's health great. systems and the executives. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and Mudit, I love it. Right. And I mean, two cases per room, 20 cases per month, that's significant, uh, pickup there of, right. uh, of revenue of, of throughput, uh, you know, deferred care that doesn't need to be deferred. So definitely right. some, some, some opportunities to, to scale. And, you know, it's hard to, to, to get a surgeon to give up that time. What kinds of incentives are we talking about?
1: Yeah, it's a really good really good question. So actually, you know, we have behavioral scientists, PhDs in behavior science on the team specifically for this reason because interesting. You have to think about much like it's been used in many areas of technology, getting users to do certain things that are or are, are for their good, and sometimes not for their good yeah. in other areas. But here there's a good we can drive through that. And and at the end of the day, it comes to prompt, like so helping someone understand there's a there's something that they can take action upon. What the action is, what the reward is, and how to sort of reinforce that. And so that's what we do. So instead of just telling the doctor, like, hey, do you want to release this time? Firstly, we have the models trained on at what point do we have enough confidence that we can reach out without overwhelming the surgeon scheduler. Sure. Yeah. Second thing, from an incentive standpoint, we think about what are things that are going through that surgeon scheduler's mind before they can release it. Well, firstly, What if I ended up, what if I end up using it, right? So maybe I should wait a little bit more. So we actually have models that help them understand what are the chances that at this current course and speed, using the historical patterns, they would use it. So that gives some reinforcement. So, in their guts, if they feel like, yeah, it's looking like it's not going to be used, it reinforces that, yeah, model mathematics also match your gut. Hmm. The second thing is, well, if in the off chance you ended up needing it we actually give you the first priority for any additional time that comes available in the OR, right? So that then there is that comfort as well, that in the off chance that that happens, then we're going to get reprioritized as the top of the range to get time back in the OR. So that's the kind of stuff that we do that helps drive that that incentive. And similarly, like there's also sometimes a room is available, but not the right equipment. Like you might be working on a room with a robot and uh, you did your first case on the robot. Your second case is following, but it doesn't need the robot. And so you're continuing in the same room, but I could really use the robot, right? So, helping mm. explain the why that that switch might be helpful is also sort of the kind of incentive that people always really value.
0: Very cool. Yeah. And I mean, in that particular situation, sounds like there's uh, capital optimization opportunities as well, right? Huge capital. investment. invest op- I mean, a lot like of money are, in these things. Yeah. These are massive, massive equipment,
1: um, very expensive, very beneficial, but very expensive. So, how do you maximize the use of them? Like we've seen, um typically about 30 to 40 percent of cases happening in robotic rooms are often non-robotic, right? So that's criminal after spending that much money on that on that piece oh, of equipment really. to not be able it. to use it.
0: Yeah. It's expensive marketing. Yes. You gotta make use of it. <laughs> 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 Love yeah. it. Uh Madi, so what 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 makes what you do different and and better than what's out there today?
1: Sure. So, so, you know, as I was talking about. Our, uh, what we drive, which is care operations automation. So maybe I'll first describe at the altitude of automation and what's unique about solving automation in this space. And then we can talk a little bit about specific examples that I was giving, what's unique yeah. um, and how that applies to that. So one, I would say there's, of course, naturally, a lot of focus on automation in healthcare. And that spans back office operations, clinical decision-making. Um, so like on the one hand, clearly there's a set of tasks that are back office tasks mostly road tasks that are separate from care delivery. And these are tasks that a human should not even be doing in the first place, right? There are good candidates for RPA, for example, and um, relatively straightforward operational tasks. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we could take clinical tasks Like, could automatically read an image and triage a patient. That's actually making clinical decisions in care delivery. High degree of human judgment and oversight required, human-led automation, with intelligence support to inform clinical decisions. So like those are two common examples that come to people's minds. But these things in care operations actually really meaningfully impact partability and have a unique set of challenges within them. So things as I was talking about access and patients care coordination and patients flowing through the hospital, these are all high ROI areas and you see massive fluctuations in performance and outcomes depending on who is managing them. So how do you drive... Automation reliability, so it's not dependent on who's managing them, requires some very specific kinds of uh, characteristics. So I'll give some examples there. So one, of course, even though you're driving operational decisions, because of scare operations, you actually need to understand deep amount of clinical data still, right? So you still need to understand. So the back office type of solutions don't directly apply to this middle space because you need to understand a lot of clinical data to understand this patient can go home in three days or they cannot go home and things of that type. Second is, you often these are human-in-the-loop automations. So you still have a human-in-the-loop, but they're kind of running. And for that, you need to have machine learning models that don't just predict what will happen, but probabilistically. In certain situations, you fully automate. In certain situations, you may only partially automate. And in certain situations, it's a high downside case. You may just give the heads up to a user. So the infrastructure of the machine learning required is also very different. It requires to be um, able to not only do the full automation, partial automation, and all that stuff, but also decide when to apply which of those levels. And then lastly, when it's not full automation, you need to have all those behavior science things come to life so that you can actually shape the human behavior as well to drive those. So that's like infrastructure and at a platform level, what's unique to solve this place. Um, and then now let's look at like an example, like what's different in how we solve the problem in the perioperative example as we were just talking about is Historically, people may have looked at that problem in the rearview mirror and said, How was your block utilization? Well, Doctor, your block utilization is not good enough. We should take some block away or we should give you more block. That's a very different conversation and actually a much more frustrating conversation for the surgeon to have than to say, Hey, you're doing a great job. Thank you for releasing the time these two times proactively. Your block utilization is now good. If actually there were two more times, you could have released it when the system prompted you. If you did that you'd be all the way in a good stewardship of of the block, right? It's a very different thing. There are people who've done sort of that work with rules as well, where you can say every time a doctor hits below 60%, we should get, um, we should remind them. Well, that sort of very crude method method of doing it either ends up resulting in lots of messages going to the surgeon schedulers and then they tune it out, or you're actually missing opportunities of truly actually getting that time release early enough because you're waiting till it actually hits a 60% point. Right? So that's the kind of stuff that is very unique, first of all, in how we drive it. Secondly, all the rewards and incentives you talk about, they're very thoughtful designed design on how to maximize uh, the, the improvements here. And lastly, this sort of closing of the loop um, to say yeah. uh, with the users is super critical as well to keep this as a, as a fully functioning loop as well. So that's sort of both at a platform level and then how we design our solutions with with AI, automation, and behavior science ends up making us making us very different than yeah. uh, uh, than other solutions.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense, mudit There's there's uh, customizable uh, solutions for for what the machine learning and AI does because there's not a one size fits all. There's the behavioral science piece that that helps people do the right things so that they're not overwhelmed and, right. and spammed. Uh, and you're optimizing the the opportunities overall. Makes a lot of sense. And 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 uh and, and very useful, by the way. So so what about those areas like ICUs where they're not cost centers? What are you sure. doing there? Yeah, so actually um ICUs- I, I, meant, I meant profit centers, right? They're cost centers. Yeah, not right, profit right. centers. They're cost yeah. centers, not yeah. profit centers, right? Um
1: so Actually, a lot of the work with you on the inpatient side, um, the excess days, the extra time the patient spends in the hospital looks at all that steps of the journey. You know, you as a patient came in and like a day or two before your discharge, we looked at the fact that you might need a sniff, and it might now take us a while to get the sniff authorization and for you to figure out which sniff is appropriate for your family and all of those things. And now you suddenly have to spend two or three extra days in the hospital. So we are looking, we've studied basically about a half a million discharges across the country. And we found some operational practices when applied consistently reduce our excess days. And it's not actually surprising. It's if you have a plan for the patient within the first day or so of where they will go eventually and when they could leave, just the fact that you're planful around that upfront actually creates a lot of downstream benefits because everyone is working around that plan is modifying the plan as needed as well. And we see about 75 to 80% fewer excess days than when that happens. So we have models that are. Um, looking at every individual patient, like, okay, you know, this patient is on liquid diet. They're now moving to oral diet. They've started moving around a little bit. They've been able to walk around. All of those things, they have a line or they have a drain or they have a catheter, all of those things about each individual patient and about twice the accuracy of care team, it can predict early on. It's hard to predict perfectly, but it can predict early on what's a good, reasonable plan. And then we auto-populate that for the team. So teams don't have to document it. We auto-populate it where the model has high confidence. But it doesn't have high confidence. It actually suggests to the team what's an appropriate plan to have here and also suggests to them to modify the plan as, as the care goes on. And that's an example of like how we take what's traditionally a cost center, like the, the, the cost of the uh, patient's excess stay, and make sure that the, the unnecessary parts of that start getting shaved off, what was clinically unnecessary. And um, that's sort of been how we've done that. We actually similarly very specifically applied that to the ICU as well especially in the pandemic, as you can imagine, ICU capacity was at a huge premium, right? Huge. Um, And it was, there were a lot of these sort of centralized um, war rooms that uh, each of the health systems had to try to figure out where they would need to create ICU capacity if they ran out of it. Now, traditionally, when health systems have been managed to touch and feel, there's someone in every unit walking around saying, okay, which patient could go to the step-down unit if you really needed some capacity, but that's hard to do centrally. If you have 12, 15 hospitals. So we actually created a model that looked at which patients are most ready for step-down soon, so we can proactively start planning them for them to leave the ICU. And we then actually tested it blind. Mm-hmm. Um, we had three physicians, two intensivists and one a hospitalist, uh, evaluate uh, each patient in the ICU for their readiness to step down in the next 24 hours. And then we had the model do the same. And we saw that they agreed with each other about the same amount of times that they agreed with the model so about 80% the times they all agree with each other and they agree with the model about 80% of the time so it became a really cool vehicle to be able to centrally say if i had to pick five six patients who can who are most clinically appropriate to be stepping down how do we start planning for that and we've seen that you can shave off about a 0.3 days of the icu stay uh so about 8 hours of the icu stay that typically end up getting lost to coordination right so when someone mm-hmm. says okay this patient looks good to go then you have to like find a transport you do all of those things can happen proactively upfront
0: Man, that's so cool. Um, indeed, and it's the compound effect from there, right? I mean, little here, Absolutely. little there, and then you're optimized. It's the difference between losing a billion dollars in a quarter or right. being profitable, right? I mean, hundred
1: that that well, problem is about thirty-seven billion dollars of access days in the country, right? So, just just the problem of access days.
0: So it's yeah. just just mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling for sure. Hey, so at the beginning of our of our chat, it, you talked about you know setbacks and tweaks. Talk to us sure. about that. What, what's been a, a, a one of the biggest setbacks you've had and a key learning that came out of that?
1: Yeah, so I'll I'll share a couple of examples and maybe talk about from the beginning point um, what we saw. So you remember the first piece was around seeing how to drive um, care operations improvement. Understood, data is going to be pretty key to it, and um, in the beginning, applied machine learning to these problems to start sort of predicting what might happen. And um, one of the early setbacks was actually like we used to predict um, how many babies you would have delivered in a day in the mother-baby unit okay. so that the nurse understood how much staff she might need. And um, we used to predict every day. I would go every day to the charge nurse, talk to like how they used it and how good it was and I remember one day I knew we had like pretty much exactly nailed uh, how many um, uh, people would be in the in the unit that day. Mm-hmm. And I went and talked to her and I was like, hey, like we predicted. What did you think? She's like, oh, yeah, I think it was, it was fine. And I was like, what do you mean it was fine? Like it was <laughs> spot on. Like how come you didn't, how come you're not more excited? Like it was exactly yeah, yeah, what you exactly. asked for. And she's like, oh, yeah, like you're right. Like it was, it was accurate. But, you know, honestly, I just had so much going on. I didn't have time to think about. What, what if it was right? What if it was wrong? What should I do? And that was a really key early lesson that the machine learning alone wasn't enough. If you couldn't yeah. help the user take the action, it was pointless. We were just kind of going and having a lot of fancy technology without actually being able to drive any outcome. That was one early setback that sort of drove a lot of the behavior science and how to build these things together um, uh, for us. So then we built the, solute, the platform to be able to apply that kind of thinking to almost anything you might need to apply to. So we built a really flexible platform, and we would actually work with our health system partners in a very flexible way. So we would go and say, oh, you have this area of problem, like let's get the data. And you know how um, health systems often have a lean improvement mindset that you would yeah. try a new thing. And So we basically would accelerate that massively. In days, You could, uh, we would have a new predictive real-time intervention live by talking to the frontline staff and seeing what they want to do. And we saw massive innovation sort of going through health systems with that. And it was very, very cool. And um, that was sort of how we started scaling from what we were doing into patient falls and um, patient uh, medications, IV to oral, and um, all kinds of areas very, very rapidly. What I started seeing, and this is sort of the setback there, was as we went deeper in the market, I started seeing and hearing two things. One, I think for health systems, I remember actually a health system CEO saying, well, this is a Ferrari, and I don't know if my people even can drive a Toyota. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, why not? She's like, look, we have so much going on. We don't know if we have time to figure out what is it that we should, what intervention we should do, what intervention we shouldn't do. What if they pick an intervention that takes a lot of effort, but actually doesn't drive enough results? Like, mm-hmm. this is just requires too much for us. And I started seeing that more and more as you we went deeper in the market. And that was a big setback because it changed how we approach the problem. But it ended up being one of our biggest strengths as we um, change our approach. So we change our approach then to say, you know what, while we have this flexible platform, we're no longer going to manifest ourselves as a flexible platform to our end users. We are going to study a couple of high-value problems that they have, much like I was describing in the inpatient side. We're going to then study what are those things that excellent managers do, that if we can do them consistently, we can actually drive high results. And then we're going to apply the full force of AI and automation and behavior science on those couple of leverage points. And we'll design these very, very specifically crafted solutions around these problems, Um, like in the OR example, the inpatient example, that can then drive consistent results no matter what the operational environment might be. And that became our approach. And that actually stood us in really good stead, especially as the pandemic hit and things like that. That approach, we call it now the solution factory, where we can basically take the flexible platform and the scientific approach of designing solutions. And together, they've been very, very powerful in driving the outcomes I was just describing to you.
0: That, that's fantastic, Mudeed. And having these, uh, these focus areas being really damn good at, at a couple things that matter a lot. Right. Gave you guys that traction that, that you were looking for. Absolutely. That's great. And, and, and uh, and so if you had to say one thing that you're most excited about today, what would you say that is?
1: So, you know, we are at such a time of a perfect storm right now. Um, Health systems have emerged from several years of just absolute heroic efforts for um, fighting the pandemic. Um, Our labor workforce is tired and there's massive both inflation as well as reimbursement pressures that are driving some very, very significant losses across health systems right now. Um, That's a very tough situation to be in. But what's exciting for me is that's driving action that is going to create long term change in what we can drive to truly deliver world class care to our patients, right? So, back to what I started with we have world class clinicians, we have world class physicians, world class staff, world class treatments, world class care. But often creating this operational infrastructure around it to deliver world class medicine truly, it's been hard. Mm-hmm. But now we have a burning platform, we have a case for doing so, and I'm seeing health systems take that long-term view and really come to us and say, look, we can't just build more ORs to drive more surgical access. We have to figure out how to drive that. We can't staff enough beds to take care of the patients we need. So this is not only a cost problem, this is a truly patient care problem to help figure out how to take out excess days. And I think that's gonna actually force us to make some changes and create the kind of care operations automation that can systematically bend the cost curve going forward, and that I'm really excited about seeing that happen on the backs of sort of this crisis. And I think that'll both help solve the crisis, but also help set us in a much set us up in a much stronger position long term as well.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, the the pandemic has certainly changed a lot from how we work to how we think, and so I think that's uh, well, well said, Mudit. Uh, exciting times ahead. So, listen, this has been incredible. And I can imagine only the tip of the iceberg of, of what you guys do. So I'd love if you could just, uh, you know, help me end this session today, Mudit, with a closing thought. And then the best place for the listeners could go learn more about you and Qventus.
1: And Absolutely. So maybe a closing thought would be um, so at Qventus, we help automate care operations. And we are just super excited about what that can do to truly drive world-class medicine across healthcare. Um, to find us, you can find us at uh, on LinkedIn, um, searching for Qventus, um, or you can find me at mudit, M-U-D-I-T, at qventus.com.
0: Beautiful. Listen, I appreciate it, Mudit. And uh, folks, check out the show notes where we will leave links to Qventus, uh, Mudit's profile on LinkedIn, different ways to get in touch. If the opportunity is there, take it. Uh, don't just listen, take action. Murit, thank you for uh, jumping on with us. This has been fun.
1: Thank you, Saul. Really excited. I had a great conversation. Thank you for having me.